0: Uh, ladies and gentlemen it's a pleasure to present uh now for uh, a second time in the u.s senate and uh, i have organized my comments along the four pillars of pandemic response i presented this to america november 19 2020 in the uh, department of homeland security and governmental affairs subcommittee on early treatment that was one of two historic senate uh subcommittee hearings led by senator ron johnson in, in that hearing, I presented the concept that our country should have always had a balanced approach to responding to the pandemic along four major principles. The first is to limit the spread of the virus. We quickly learned that this virus was a respiratory virus, that it spread from someone who is sick with symptoms to someone who's susceptible, who could actually acquire the infection, and they themselves become symptomatic. We learned early on that the virus is not spread from an asymptomatic person to another asymptomatic person. It was always symptomatic to susceptible person. And for those reasons, we had an opportunity on contagion control, but our efforts to do so uh, objects, it was actually spread by uh, an aerosol in the air. And uh, later on in this proceedings, we've asked uh, Dr. Botachara from Stanford to present a brief video on the Great Barrington Declaration because he led that effort with others that addressed some fundamentals on pillar number one. Pillar number two is the pillar of early treatment. And I think everyone in this room could understand there are only two bad outcomes with COVID-19, hospitalization and death. And if everybody in this room and everyone in the nation understood that they could get a respiratory illness and survive it in the comfort of their own home. Assisted by medications in some individuals who were at high risk for that outcome, they could get along with that and understand that America would get through this illness together. And as we sit here today, there are 217,000 papers in the peer-reviewed published literature in PubMed. 94,000 of them deal with hospitalization and death as an outcome. And in hospital treatment. 26,279 deal with vaccines and 1,417 deal with treatment and a small fraction of that is early treatment. We're going to hear from experts today on the principles of early treatment based on drugs used in combination with an acceptable safety to be used under the the guidance of the precautionary principle that this is a mass casualty event and we cannot wait for large randomized trials that are not forthcoming and we certainly can't wait for guidelines that depend on those randomized trials the third pillar is hospital care we are going to hear today from experts who have a, a tremendous experience Uh, some in the outpatient and the inpatient realm in the continuum of care and others exclusively on inpatient care. But I can tell you, as a doctor making an observation, being in a large academic medical center currently in Dallas, Texas, but also throughout my career, to this day, we're two years into the pandemic. There is not a single hospital in America that is holding itself out as a center of excellence for the treatment of COVID-19. Yet those same very medical centers hold themselves out as experts in cardiovascular care or cancer care. There's still not a single academic medical center there in the, in the uh, United States today that has an early treatment program or even has continuity of care of patients going from the, the outpatient to the inpatient and back to the outpatient realm. The fourth pillar is vaccination. In vaccination, uh, as we see it today, uh has been uh, the central uh effort of our federal relief in COVID-19 and we're going to have a very careful review of vaccination in fact mass discrimination another term that applies to that is indiscriminate vaccination now i can tell you speaking for the doctors around this table we widely use vaccines as part of our clinical practice this is a part of medicine It is a standard accepted part of medicine. We have over 70 vaccines that are used in clinical practice and they do work to help prevent the binary outcome of getting a disease, particularly a disease that is a low prevalence disease or a disease that one yet has not acquired. But never in human history have we widely applied vaccinations into the middle of a widely prevalent pandemic where people are falling ill, recovering and falling ill again. And we will hear about vaccines uh, and their role in pandemic response. So I've set the table. These are the four pillars of pandemic response. And I'll turn it back over to Senator Johnson.
1: Thank you, Dr. McCulloch.
0: Our next presenter is
1: uh, Dr. Ryan Cole. Dr. Cole is CEO and Medical Director of Cole Diagnostic. So, it's-
2: welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Subliminal Message Studios, and I am your host, Leonardo. Let's go. Everybody, how is uh, everybody doing today? Has everybody woke up and tried to get their shit together? I know for a fact when I woke up, there is no getting my shit together. There is, there was absolutely no getting up this morning, and I am not kidding you because I, I I don't know what it is, but I've been, I've, I've been being a night owl for over the last like two days, I cannot go to sleep. I, 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 I take melatonin. I've been taking sleep aid. I've been drinking sleeping tea. I've been, I've been doing all three of them at the same time and I'm not going to sleep, you know? Uh, and it's not a lack of, um, let's just say it's not a lack of, 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 restlessness because I'm I it's not a lack of that I'm always restless it's not of a it's just man you ever get so uh just so caught up on everything that's going on your mind will not allow you to go to sleep, and I think over the last couple of days, man, that's one been of one of my main problems. I cannot go to sleep, and uh, yesterday I couldn't go to sleep because I was I was busy. I watched the whole this whole the whole um, uh, the blackout of the medical doctors p- pandemic response team that has completely been blacked out by CNN, MS, uh, MSM, and um, as well as many other publication, on um, high, high million dollar news outlets that can't cover what should be the most important, the most important session within the Pentagon that's being held. And, and, and it should be covered. It should be covered by everyone, but uh, fuck it. You know, we ain't going to cover shit. You know what I'm saying? But it is, it, it's, it, it is so interesting. And some of these doctors have went through so much, man. They've been blacklisted by, Everyone just for speaking out to a few of these doctors were fired. Um, a few of them have been in, um, uh, involved in lawsuits because the CDC said, don't you go treating anyone with uh, vifloroamectin or don't you go treating anyone with any kind of generic medicines. If it is not our vaccination, don't you dare treat COVID-19 with it? Because after all, we are the gods in this. You know what I'm saying? yes. Do not treat yourself with anything but our MRNA death vaccination. And you know what? I just have some interesting facts I want to go over uh, that has been has just just a few little details that have just now came out involving the CDC sending memos to physicians and pharmacists telling them, straight up telling them, do not treat any of your customers, any of your patients with anything but our mRNA vaccination, if it's not coming from Pfizer, Moderna, do not treat COVID-19 with it. Do not use any kind of generic medications for COVID-19, even though generic. When they say generic medication, ladies and gentlemen, what they're trying to say is generic medication is another way of uh, uh, another way of natural healing. That's all it is, man. You know, like vera. You have a skin burn or something like that, you put some oliveira, if you have an oliveira plant, you can break a little part of that plant off and put it on your wound, even helps with wounds too. Cuts, it helps with a lot, oliveira helps your skin. It, that's, a, that's a generic medication right there, bam. That's another form like aspirin, they even had Tylenol the cdc was sending memos in late in the late august and late august of 2021 and in the spring of august and uh, in the spring of 2021 sending memos to physicians and fucking and pharmacists telling them do not treat your patients with tylenol don't say tylenol will work with covid-19 they said don't don't treat them with uh, of uh, melatonin was on there first why would you first of all no one's even thought about treating COVID nineteen with melatonin. Why would you put it on there? Why would you put it on there? Because no one's no one thought about that. That wasn't a big TikTok thing. You know, I, I don't see. I don't remember seeing that shit on CNN at all. However, they have continued to um, um, lie about almost every single thing. And now this is just one little detail I'm giving you. Here's another. These this these are recent. These are recent polls coming from the CDC too, which drives me up the fucking wall. Now, how in the hell does the CDC put out these polls, and we're all still putting on a mask? Listen to this, guys. Uh, flu vac- uh The flu vaccine. The adverse uh, adverse events this year is 107 and 816. Deaths 2001 deaths uh, over the past couple over the past couple years or over the last years 77 as an overall majority I should say every year. Tylenol adverse events, 112,244. 244. Deaths overall 26,356. Deaths per year 1224. Alright, now that's, I just named off, like I said, these are just two. Flu, that's the flu vaccine, that's Tylenol. Alright, this is the COVID vaccine. Adverse events. 1,053,830. deaths are, alright, 42,000. 193 and an overall average of 4,000 every single uh, over uh, an average. I'm sorry, an average of almost 10,000 a year or uh, 20 or blah 20,000 a year. I'm sorry, an overall average of 20,000 a year because we've only been in in 20 and uh, two years so. Deaths per year twenty two thousand, about one hundred ninety three, and overall average of twenty thousand one hundred seventy five over almost every year. That's about forty two thousand deaths, almost forty three thousand deaths, in the last couple of years caused directly from the vaccine. Since the vaccine has been made, that's almost two. That's almost two years, forty two thousand deaths, and it's just now coming out that. Along with these vaccinations, these vaccinations are actually creating breeding grounds for people that have been vaccinated. And they're creating more viruses within the vaccinated. They're then coughing it up and you know what I mean. Uh, this uh, this is some crazy shit we're, we are living in, ladies and gentlemen. Can we all agree that it, it, this is the very much the truth of the matter, honestly? Honestly. You know, and, um, uh, you know, like uh, I, I'm going to cover more of that. Um, i just do, i do want to get to a few articles first um a few things that we are um developing and we have been developing i don't know if we i don't know if any of you guys know this but we've been using dolphins uh to protect um protect our navy um underwater for a very long time uh um uh, but there's a recent article just now coming out about uh, about it uh, saying uh, militarized dolphins are protecting our nuclear stockpiles. Which is the smartest and the coolest shit that we could do. Check this out, guys. Situated just 20 miles from Seattle, Navy base Kitsap houses America's most powerful and secret deterrence, a weapon that is the first line of defense for U.S. national security, U.S. Navy Dolphins. Since 1967, the Navy has been training dolphins and sea lions for military applications such as mine clearing, forest protection, and recovery missions. The U.S. Navy Marine Mammal Program deployed military dolphins as early as the Vietnam War and as recently as the 2003 U.S.-led invasion in our, of Iraq. When protecting harbors and ships from mines, as they do at naval base Kitsap, the dolphins use their extraor- extraordinary biological sonar detect- to detect hazardous beneath the surface whether tethered to the seafloor or buried beneath sediment. If a mine or other weapon is detected, the dolphin will return to its handler who gives the animal a buoy to mark the location of the device on the surface. Passing ships know to avoid these markers while Navy, explodes, explode, while Navy explosives ordnance disposal divers neutralize the threat below. For protection against enemy divers, dolphins will swim up to the inf- infiltrator, bump into them, and place a buoy device on their back or a lump using their mouth. The boy then drags the outed diver to the surface for easy capture. When trained sea lions perform the same maneuver, they use a kind of handcuff with their mouths to attach the buoy. Since Bangar, Washington, now houses the largest senior nuclear weapons site in the world, it needs protection from all sides, including the seaward side. That's where the Navy's dolphin pods and sea lions come in. Navy spokesman... Chris Haley says the animals have been defending the waters around the stockpile holding roughly 25% of the United States. 9,962 nuclear warheads since 2010. Holy shit, that literally means that, 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 that that fucking... And that the sea has been protecting our nuclear stockpiles. That is honestly, that's, that's some really cool shit. You know, this is, these are uh, some of the reasons why I try not to touch on all the needy, you know, on, on all the horrible shit, man, because it's, it's articles like this, man, that are so, that are so awesome. You know, we, we have dolphins. We, we got Ariel down there, uh, down there with, with, with Poseidon and her dad and shit like that protecting our stockpiles and all the dolphins. They probably got crabs down there that are trained and shit, singing songs under the nuclear weapons. We will protect them. <laughs> I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? But that, that honestly is the coolest thing, man. That really, really is. That's something that's, that's, that's just, outstanding man um uh now uh now unfortunately we do have to touch base on uh, what's going out in um, uh, africa because i'm going to be honest guys what happens out in africa truly does affect us all here man and uh speaking of uh that uh burkina uh the burkina military uh has seized power uh seized power it has overthrown the government and the um uh, uh Was president, I should say. The military in Bernatka-Fausau says it seized power and overthrown President Roche Cabrera. The announcement was made on state television by an army officer who cited the deteriorating security situation for the military takeover. Mr. Cabrera had faced growing discontent over his failure to stem an Islamist insurgency, where his abouts are unclear. But the officer said those who... All those detained were in secure locations. Okay. You know, what? uh, whatever that means, uh, I'm sure that means when we say they are detained, they could be hung on a tree. We do not care. They are detained. I don't know. But all I know is the coup comes a day after troops seized barracks and gunshots were heard in the Capitol. These are the same gunshots that I reported on. Apparently, uh, there was video that came out where they heard, everyone heard. Uh, some gunshots near the president's, uh, barracks near the president's house. And, uh, yeah, that was him getting taken away by, um, rebels. Yeah. Anyways, uh, early, earlier the ruling, uh, the ruling of, uh, people, the ruling, the ruling people's movement for progressive PMP party said they both, Mr. Uh, they both, uh, mi- Mr. Caboro and a government minister had survived an assassination attempt. On Sunday, Multiny. Multi, why do they use these words? Mutiny troops demanded the sacking of military chiefs, chiefs and more resources to fight militants leaked to the Islamic State. Group and Al-Qaeda, the Army statement said Mr. Khabar had failed to unite the nation and to deal effectively with the security crisis, which threatens the very foundations of our nation. The statement as issued in the name of a group not heard previously, the Patriotic Movement of Safeguard and Restoration, or NPRSR, is French acronym, although read out by another officer. The statement was signed by Lieutenant Paul Henry Sendago Dambia, who is believed to be the coup leader and a senior commander with the of experience fighting the Islamic militants. The statement said that par- Parliament and the government had been dissolved and the Constitution suspended, but promised a return to constitutional order within a reasonable time. The military also announced the closure of burkina Faso's borders. UN Chief Antonio Guterres condemned the coup and called on the military to ensure the protection and the physical integrity of Mr. Kabore. The African Union and Regional Bloc Aquas have also com- condemned the forceful takeover of power, with Aquas saying it holds the soldiers responsible for the disposed president- president's well-being. Earlier, the news of his uh, detention was received with cheers and celebration in Kondagawa uh, Qu- uh, reports the BBC senior African correspondent Anna Soy. Well, you know, I do think it's absolutely, uh, completely ironic how the U.N., the U.N., and, um of all people but uh, you know we shouldn't say this isn't you know we oh, who saw this coming the UN you know actually sticking uh, the UN sticking up for Al Qaeda well of course the UN sticking up for Al Qaeda that's their personal little Operation Gladio boys you know uh, uh, but it's it's hilarious how they're saying oh we condemn soldiers taking back their country because there's an Islamic state there's a Islamic uh, radical um, movement of, of of rebels that were blowing up, that were blowing up police stations, that were killing people, that were starting wars with the military. So the military, the soldiers within the military, said, "Hey, why not we start? Why, why not? Excuse me, why not we fight them back? Oh yeah, but of course you guys are going to get condemned for that because you actually actually fighting for your rights. But you know." Whatever, let's just move forward, all right? Now, Douglas County candidate Dave Pantes says he'd use his office to address root causes of crime. Dave Panto served as executive director of the Legal Aid of Nebraska, ran several congressional campaigns, including Kara Eastman's, in 2020. He teaches law and the policy of the University of Nebraska. He's currently running for Douglas County attorney against incumbent Don Clean. Today, he tells a story and shares his vision. Aw, oh, he's sharing his vision. He's also going to go ahead and just going to put on that critical race theory in the courts and say, Well, listen, white man. You are horrible. Speaking of horrible, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna. I'm going to. I I, I want you guys to show that. I want you guys to see this picture of this bitch. Now, smirky she is. She's up on up in our up in our city council. Up in our up in our city council in our district of court talking about. Oh my God! Damn, people are getting me all wrong. It's not. I I didn't want to put on these masks, even though CDC, legitly just came out and said masks don't work. You go on their website right now, and they're now saying that, oh, well, this, this mass actually don't work. But I don't know. Here, let me get back to this. A ruling on the state motion seeking to top a mass mandate in the city of Omaha is expected no later than noon on Tuesday. Both sides presented arguments Monday morning to Judge Shelley Stratman in Douglas County District Court from the attorney general's office to the city of omaha and an attorney representing the three city council members Throughout who say Idaho. they're the ones who can issue a mass mandate not the health director well um i'm sorry but even you guys are see this is this is ridiculous now now they're now they're just making it a dick measuring contest how about you just tell the people It's not your job. It's the people's job. If the people in Omaha decide that they all want to put masks on themselves and be good little slaves, then they'll do it. But no one in Omaha is asking for that. Anyways, who say they're the ones who can issue a mask mandate? Of course you are, not the health director. No lawyers were in the courtroom with the judge arguing their cases via Zoom. The Attorney General and the council members want the judge to grant a temporary injunction of the mask mandate. The state says Dr. Hughes needs approval from the Department of Health and Human Services and can't act on her own. She doesn't have the authority to make decisions for the city. The plain language of those ordinances explicitly give power to the Douglas County Health Director, not the, not the city Health Director. Thus, her action can only be the county department, and because she lacks state approval, what she did is invalid, said James Campbell, solicitor general for the Attorney General's office. The city's lawyer argued the city's code grants her the right in public health emergency. The case is much simpler than arguing what her title is, where her title isn't. That's ultimately semantics. The issue is where does she get the authority to issue this mask mandate and what that authority delegates validly to her, said Edward Fox, who represents the city of Omaha. And following for the injunction to stop the mandate earlier this month, Nebraska Attorney General Doug Peterson said Diggler, Douglas County Health Director Lindsay Hughes needed to receive permission from Nebraska Health and Human Services before enacting a mass mandate in Omaha. In her legal response to the state motion seeking to stop a mass mandate in the city of Omaha, Hughes argued the polarization of public health was complicated her efforts to combat COVID-19 and her ability to protect the public health. Too often, the response to COVID-19 has sacrificed science on the altar of politics, writes the attorney for Hughes in the defense brief. Oh, really? Well, that's exactly what you're doing, but okay. Ain't that so ironic how the, the same thing that they accuse everyone else of doing, that's what they're doing, but that's how it works every single time. Too often, the response of COVID-19 has sacrificed science on the altar of politics, writes the attorney for Hughes in the defense brief. Those entities and individuals challenging Dr. Hughes' public health measures are those who simply disagree with the requiring the mask as a disease mitigation measure. Well, let me tell you um, uh, right now, Mr. Attorney for uh, Dr. Hughes, um, first of all, I'm just following what the CDC says now. The CDC uh, is now saying that masks don't work. Vaccinations are no longer no no longer actually protect you from the Delta variant. They only give you some type of immunity, only a short time immunity, but they don't fully protect you. It's not an actual cure. So, I'm just following what the CDC says, just like you do. Only wait. See, you're not following what the CDC says, because it has nothing to do with the public health, does it? Is that why you waited? You know what? You know what's another amazing, uh, amazing thing to me? Why, why, why wait now? Honestly, why wait now? And if you keep on driving this idea of, oh, it's just the people that don't agree with putting on masks. It's just the people that don't agree with being vaccinated. That's polarization right there. That's where you're gonna get this polarization right there because you keep on driving these polaristic ideologies. You keep on driving these these segregated idea uh, these segregated ideas. And, th- and then you have the gulf to fucking say, oh, it's the people that just don't agree with her because they don't agree with putting on a mask, they're just being petty. No. That has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with the fact that we've been doing this for two fucking years now. The CDC has changed more, has turned over more in their bed than Marilyn Monroe. Anthony Fauci has been caught making and granting the money for the actual virus out in the Wuhan lab. So now it's actually a proven thing that, that the Wuhan lab created COVID-19 and then released it to the world. Now that's coming out. So... It has nothing to do with whether or not I want to put on a mask. Listen to me. I'm, I'm going to be honest. <clears throat> as honest as I can. I have no problem with putting on a mask. When I first, when this first came out, I said this once. I'm going to say it again. When this first came out, I had no problem. I had all the gear, man. I was ready for this pandemic. I was way more ready than you, Dr. Lindsey Hughes, because I guarantee you don't have any, any gear at your house. I, I bet you don't have any bug out food. I guarantee you don't have any bug out uh, medical gear. I guarantee you don't have any of that shit. Well, guess what? I do. Okay. So when this pandemic first started, I was ready for it, man. I I, I could have put I, I gas. I had, I had the... The $400 gas mask that protects you from nuclear fallout. I had the the actual, the, res, the, the the pandemic response suit that you can actually put on. Ain't nobody touching you. You ain't catching a nothing, nothing. You know, I had it all. Okay. So when this first started, I was more ready than you. So do not tell me. And so keep, and, and, and this is how I know. See, this is how I know. What you're what you're really trying to do? Because you know full well that we've been. You know full well that even the CDC has now came out and said masks don't work. And if you don't know that, then what's the point of us putting on a mask now? What's the point of this of uh, of us of us putting on a mask now? What because the marion the marion variant it has a zero 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 point one percent death rate and. No one's died from it still to this day. There's a new variant going around that they're calling the Florona variant, right? And that variant is supposedly where you can catch the flu and COVID, the, the Delta variant, at the same time, which contradicts, which, which, which contradicts what the CDC said a while back ago about how you can't catch the flu and COVID at the same time. And now there's a mutated virus that says, oh no you can get flu uh, flu and COVID at the same time. I mean it's just ridiculous, man. It is ridiculous. It's 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 the same kind of ridiculousness as the Fulton judge greenlight special grand jury for Trump probe, for Trump probe. The judges on Fulton County Superior Court bench on Monday cleared the way for a special grand jury to be used for District Attorney Fannie Wells investigation of former president donald trump and his efforts to overturn georgia's 2020 election results chief judge chief judge christopher s brasher wrote that a majority of the judges had agreed to the request issue by wilson's office last week the special grand jury will be impaneled may 2nd and continue for a period not to exceed 12 months brasher wrote in an order the special purpose grand jury shall be authorized to investigate any and all facts and circumstances related directly or indirectly to alleged violations of the law of the state of Georgia. You got to be kidding me. They're not even touching base on the fact that they have a grand jury. Well, let's take a look on who who is on this grand jury, right? Because we shouldn't just put a, a special grand jury on there and then just not find out. Who's on there? Okay. It's going to be U.S. Attorney B.J. Peck. U.S. Senate Lindsey Graham. Oh, wow. Refenses Spurger. Those were all. Those were all. Um, those were all people that were making um, supposedly interfering um, uh, with the uh, performance of the January Sixth Committee, right? Now let's find the actual people that are going to be on this committee. Uh, of course. Well, they're not going to release the names. Uh, I got them. Bam. Okay, so a few people, just a few people on, on this, um, on the special grand jury for this January 6th committee. Tamara Hollerman. Uh, uh, Tamara Hollerman. Here, yeah, let me look her up real quick. Tamara Hollerman. Oh, okay, awesome. Tamara Hollerman, she's a Democrat. Jody Gran. Pete Galileo. John Breck... You know what, ladies and gentlemen, some of these names uh, are very, very hard to pronounce. I'm going to be honest. Uh, But let's see what they're all about, though. Because after all, if we're going to have a special grand jury, let's make sure that it's not completely biased. You know, or or, or God forbid, let's just make sure that, you know what I mean, they don't... um, They're not all paid off. Well. I will have to look into that, ladies and gentlemen, and I will have to get back to you because I am not for sure, and I do not want to touch base on something that I do not know whether or not is true or not. For all I know, some of this, uh, some of these members on the grand jury that I just listed off, maybe they're, maybe they're completely right in the middle. They're not, you know, democratic. They're not Republican. They're independent. They're right in the middle, and, may, and, and, and maybe just that. And, and if that. Let's hope to God they just don't get into politics, you know what I'm saying? And they just kind of got put on this grand jury so that we can have a completely unbiased opinion. You know, since we have to have opinion, because the media has completely brainwashed everyone in and convinced everyone that the January 6th riot was a form of an insurrection. And it's just amazing to me. But we'll get all, we got a lot more news coming back at us. Let's go on a quick break, ladies and gentlemen. welcome back this is subliminal message studios and I am your host Leonardo I gotta tell you guys the most important the most important video the most important information that we could all give each other right now is being completely blacked out by the media is being completely blacked out you can find it on Rumble. You can find it on InfoWarsBand.video. You can go on Subliminal Message Studios on my YouTube channel. I have linked the entire video on my YouTube channel for everyone because it is truly that important. The doctors that are on this committee, on the committee, on the pandemic response uh, c- committee, are true patriots for this country because they are standing up in the fight in the effort to tell us all the truth not just the truth not just their truth not just the truth of the science but the truth for humanity which is what is truthfully truthfully important i know there's a lot of truths in there i understand (laughs) but that that's what's really important man you know what i mean because everybody's gonna have opinion within their own job detail if that makes any kind of sense you know what i'm saying after you do something for so long, you're going to just think you're the most biggest fucking expert at it all. You can Nobody can tell you shit because you've done it for so long. These men have come together in an effort to tell humanity what we really, really need to do. And I advise everyone to go on Rumble, to go on my YouTube channel and watch this it is all one word subliminal message studios all one word go on there watch it but let's get back to it man um we do have uh, i do have so many other articles that have recently come out um especially to do with uh, russia russia and china i've been watching both of those countries very well but not just that i've been watching on military and see how we play because i'm going to uh, once again i'm not going to be a bigot and um not really really uh not really just include man while russia and china have been building up the troops here there this and that and uh all that and under the sun america uh we were the first ones to do it not just us but i should say the biden administration was the first one to do it to start building up troops out in ukraine which obviously you know if if you're in a country right next to that, you're going to get pissed off, too. Now, there's no excuse. No excuse. <laughs> but let's get back to this, guys. Uh, I do want you guys, you guys have to tune in this. Because this is, like I said, this is very important. This is the type of information that gets completely blacked out on the media. The, that's the, you know, the secret congressional hearings that get sat down. The hearings that should be public but no media outlets on, on it. See, a long time ago, be, before before the internet, a long time ago, in the 70s, 80s, it was only one or two channels where you can get your information from. So thank God, this is what I'm glad we have the internet for. Thank God.
1: Talk about his group's work on ivermectin. Uh, his impassioned opening statement, which I think was prompted by my ranking member's insults, uh, basically called him a partisan hack, but in Senate-speak, um, diplomatically, uh, fired him up, and he, he offered a, an impassioned opening statement which was viewed by eight million people on YouTube before he was taken down and censored. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Corey. Thanks, Senator
3: Johnson. <clears throat> you get it close. Okay. So, I'm really tired, I'm really tired of watching the U.S. health system's failed response to this pandemic. I cannot list, and I do not have the time today to talk about the innumerable innumerable failed policy responses. Some of them are so obscene, absurd, illogical, and non-scientific that they're almost unspeakable. Things like, if you guys remember, not testing the vaccinated. Things like not recommending vitamin D, not checking vitamin D levels. I mean, things that are so so fundamental, basic about science and medicine, and that they've been avoided. And I have to say, I'm gonna call it out, and I'm known for this, I call it like I see it. I'm calling attention to the corruption if you look at these innumerable failed policies, there's only one way to understand them. They are literally written by pharmaceutical companies. Almost every single policy serves the interest of a pharmaceutical company. However, if you look out, talk about some of those successful programs. Number one, across the world there have been Programs by health ministries, which employed either widespread distribution or test and treat programs I'm going to listen for you today. Listen well That medication Has been shown to literally solve the pandemic in numerous regions around the world Mexico City December of 2020 their state health system deployed an early test and treat program. They deployed 250 mobile testing units throughout Mexico City and they had treatment kits. They used and they collected data on 120,000 people. 50,000 of them took treatment kits and they found in those who were given treatment kits that up to 75% avoided hospitalization. Up to 75% avoided hospitalization. Their hospitals emptied. Argentina, La Misiones, another health ministry, early test and treat with significant dosing for a five-day strategy, they found that over 4,000 patients, again, 75% reduction in the need for hospitalization and an 88% reduction in death. They were avoiding hospitalization and avoiding dying. The miracle, which is not covered in any newspaper in almost any country around the world, They literally eradicated COVID from its borders. It's a poor state in Northern India. Using 90, over 70,000 healthcare workers distributed across the country or their state, they visited 97,000 villages. They tested early. They gave everyone ivermectin and early treatment. They gave household members ivermectin for prevention and all of the healthcare workers took it. In September of 2021, they reported that in 67 of the 75 districts There was not one active case. Their positivity rate in the previous two and a half million tests was 0.007%, which is effectively zero. They eradicated COVID from their borders. This was not covered. This was not covered. Two newspapers in India covered this and the word ivermectin was not mentioned. The Brazilian city of Itajai, this is a paper that was published in the last two weeks. It is one of the most remarkable studies in the history of medicine because it included complete data on 160,000 people in the city of Itajai where that health ministry in June of 2020 offered its entire citizens inhabitants the opportunity to take ivermectin as a preventative. 113,000 people decided to and something around 50,000 did not. And when you compare the two groups, Even though the group that elected to take it was sicker, older, more overweight, much more disease, they got the disease 50% less, they went to the hospital 68% less, and they died 70% less often. It is a truly remarkable study using immense amounts of, of data. La Pampas Argentina, same thing, early test and treat programs showing that the need for ICU or death fell by 50 and 60%. Peru did mass distributions long ago in 2020 until they stopped doing it because the administration changed, but they showed in all of the reasons where they did mass distributions, mortality rates and case counts fell. It is a highly effective medicine, even in Japan. Even in Japan, the president of the Tokyo Medical Association announced to all doctors during a summer surge that they should use ivermectin in the treatment. Within weeks, the hospitalization rates reported out of Japan were lower than at any other time in the pandemic. That medication works. And when you deployed an early test and treat strategy, you can cure and solve this pandemic. That information is being buried. Why is that happening, you might ask. I'm gonna say that what I've just reported today, that information is being suppressed across most of the world. United States health agency structures and policies created over the last 50 years have tightly intertwined the pharmaceutical industry with public health institutions, resulting in repeated policies placing pharmaceutical industry interests ahead of the welfare of US citizens. The industry's capture of our health agencies, combined with their increasing financial control of most major media, social media, and medical journals, has led to an ability to widely suppress and or distort any information which supports the efficacy of repurposed, low-cost, off-patent medicines. This war has been going on for decades, and this decades-long war on repurposed drugs waged with the ever-present goal of protecting the market for novel, patented, obscenely profitable and often barely tested and toxic medications has reached a pinnacle in COVID-19. It's an absurdity, it's an obscenity, and it's a crime. It has to stop. The impacts of their disinformation war on repurposed medicine now constitute crimes against humanity given the global morbidity, mortality, and loss of social, societal, and economic liberties that could have been avoided if such information would have been widely disseminated.
1: Thank you, Dr. Corey. Uh, next presenter will be Dr. Richard Urso. Dr. Urso is a medical doctor and scientist who graduated AOA with the highest honors from the University of Texas School of Medicine. He continued with five years of post training and research is, is the sole inventor of an FDA-approved wound-healing drug. It's your ophthalmologist, correct? Yeah, so obviously so you have you know far greater qualifications, but but I always did. I always was wondering, what was an
4: ophthalmologist treating adult COVID patients? But yeah, yeah. that's a great question. So, um, what what I'll I'll get to that. I'll I'll weave that into the story because I have a really I think a really positive message. So it's been a great tragedy this last two years, but it really didn't have to be that way. We've really, I would say, with my esteemed colleagues here, thank you for all of all of you have. Have sort of influenced a lot of my thinking, and I think all of us will say that we ha- we have this we know how to treat diseases so covid nineteen the novel coronavirus, right from the get go right from the get go I spent nine years in a tissue culture lab doing inflammation scarring uh, tumor virus work um, i I really just looked at it okay it 's a respiratory virus. Uh, what do we know about respiratory viruses? We know that respiratory viruses live about five to seven days, so I was, uh, uh, as I looked at this, I thought, well, that, you know, that's probably gonna be true for this virus. We didn't have it cultured yet, but as it turned out, uh, in the first year of culturing the virus, I don't think any uh, live virus was cultured past eight days. It was usually about five, six days. So that held true. So back in March of 2020, a bunch of my colleagues, we assembled, we started looking at options of what we can do, um, and it became quite evident after talking uh, to people in Italy and South Korea and, and elsewhere, that uh, that it was a respiratory virus that was going to be causing a lot of inflammation. Uh, and then, one of the unique things that was happening here with this respiratory virus for coronavirus it was a lot of blood clotting. So, you had respiratory distress, blood clotting, and inflammation. And so, as a physician, you know, those are not that; those are easy conditions to treat. The difficult part was really attacking the virus. And at the time that I first looked, uh, again in March, uh, early March 2020, I found about eight things that might work based on mechanisms. And so I think these are, like, in a sense, tools in the toolbox that we ought to be trying. So my first patient, um, I treated with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, vitamin D, aspirin, and steroids, and. I literally was shocked when I went and talked about it that um, this virus. We didn't have it cultured yet, but as it turned out, uh, in the first year of culturing the virus, I don't think any uh, live virus was cultured past eight days. It was usually about five, six days. So that held true. So back in March of 2020 a bunch of my colleagues we assembled we started looking at options of what we can do um, and it became quite evident after talking uh, to people in Italy and South Korea and, and elsewhere that uh, that it was a respiratory virus that was going to be causing a lot of inflammation uh, and then one of the unique things that was happening here with this respiratory virus for a coronavirus was causing a lot of blood clotting so you had respiratory distress blood clotting and inflammation and so as a physician you know, those are not that, those are easy conditions to treat. The difficult part was really attacking. First looked uh, again in March, uh, early March, 2020, I found about eight things that might work based on mechanisms. And so I think these are like, in a sense that we ought to be trying. So my first patient, um, I treated with hydroxychloroquine erythromycin, vitamin D, aspirin, and steroids, and I literally was shocked when I went and talked about it that, um, uh, that people were really coming at me about the steroids, because anybody who treats respiratory syncytial virus and other viruses, the inflammatory phase is, is typically one of the most important phases, and of course when Dr. Corey came out and said that, he, he was attacked mercilessly too, but to anybody who treats disease, it really, to me, I was... Kind of surprised to get attacked i was getting attacked by people who really didn't know what they were talking about so what i'll say is you as as people who are listening it's an inflammatory disease it's a blood clotting disease we have lots of medicines for inflammation why would you not treat inflammation as an outpatient we have so many different drugs why would you not treat blood clotting we have every who, who gets admitted to the hospital for blood clotting maybe a day or two and then you go back out There's lots of things we have. Attacking the virus, you have to do that in the first week. And what has happened? We actually have drugs like remdesivir, which are being applied day 15 and 20. They have no chance of working. It's a one trick pony. It has to work when the virus is replicating. So at that point, what I tell people is the problem is these drugs are, viruses and cancer cells are unique. They use our own machinery. So if you're not killing the virus you're killing something you're killing our mitochondria you're killing our cells. So these are just strategies that it doesn't take a lot of thinking as a physician I literally am shocked to see people using these drugs you know 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 weeks later they can't work. So at the end of the day I think the message that I kind of want to send is as Dr. Cole said earlier the virus isn't killing people, it's the sense. It's the viral particles creating the inflammation, creating the blood clots, the cars versus the car parts, so it's not dying from the cars, you're dying from the car parts. And we've had this the whole time, and I wanna make one mirror, which I think is an important point, I would tell everybody, you can take any two drugs away, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and still save almost all the lives, and that's the me- end message. We have so many tools in the toolbox, It's a message I want everybody to hear. We can beat this disease. I'll give you one more uh, caveat. As we went from Delta to Omicron, one of the things that happened, and we all sort of, we worked together as as a team, in a sense, we recognized that Omicron did not employ TMPRSS2 binding. What that means, it's like, in a sense, the virus grabs onto cells and it uses an ACE2 receptor, and it also uses another receptor called TMPRSS2, it's a serine protease. Bottom line is, we realized that a lot of the drugs that we were using for 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 Delta, we didn't need in this new disease. That's called the practice of medicine. We adjust. We make. We, that's what we do. That's that's how we've always done it. And that's why an ophthalmologist can figure this out because I had a big background in clinical medicine. I have treated over my career over 300,000 patients, uh, and I'm going to say that. I think what you found here, which I wanna answer your, the last point that Doctor uh, Senator Johnson made is, why is an ophthalmologist treating? Because patients were languishing at home. And I've treated over 1,600 patients because patients were languishing at home with no treatment for inflammation, with no treatment for respiratory distress, with no treatment for blood clotting. It's absolutely absurd, and I wasn't gonna let it happen. And I, and I think as you see in this room, all of us feel the same. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Ursa. I'm going to break protocol here because I'm in charge. Um, because there's another question I have, and this is the $64,000 question, and we'll all, I'll have all of you answered in some way, shape, or form. Why aren't other doctors using their medical skill? Why aren't they practicing medicine? Listen, I, you know, I think it's appropriate to use Practice protocols. I mean, you're developing protocols and you're practicing them, but why haven't more doctors thought outside the box and, again, had the courage and compassion to actually treat patients as opposed to follow the,
4: the compassionless guideline from NIH, just succinctly? So, succinctly this, when we first came down in March, we were getting messages to go home. And some of those messages were really strong. They basically said if you don't, if you, and this is the start, the fear came into doctors' hearts. They said in Texas, for instance, if you used PPE, that you might be criminally liable for interfering with an emergency use act. And it was pretty scary. A lot of us were like, well, what are we gonna do? We're like, well, I guess I'll wear a mask. But that only continued. It was a coordinated attack creating fear and doctors felt that and many doctors are actually working in employed positions and as time went on they were told in no uncertain terms if you use these drugs you probably will be fired and nobody had to tell them they're smart people you don't have to draw a out. we'll
1: delve in the timeline in terms of when that initial fear let's face it there was so much we didn't know early but then we started finding things out to the point we are now, two years later. But I want to explore that timeline with all of you in terms of because we have to diagnose what happened. But what, what, why are we today in?
2: Ladies and gentlemen, this is getting intense, man. And, and I, I can't even, uh, you know, the questions that all these doctors are, are asking are are, are asking are the, literally the same exact questions I have been asking for a long, long time. And these guys are smart, man. Just listen to these guys. You can tell that they know their stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, let's go on a quick break, and we will get back to this here in a second. This is Leonardo with Subliminal Message Studios. Let's go. subliminal message studios and i am your host leonardo i wonder if your day is going blessed honestly if it ain't then you need to get your shit together and try your hardest to make it blessed no i'm just playing man you know sometimes stuff happens in this world and sometimes you're gonna have a bad day but no matter what no matter what man you always got to remember that is it is honestly up to you to make sure that you are already doing putting your best foot forward and it is very hard to do that. It is very easy to get discouraged. Don't get me wrong, ladies and gentlemen. It is so fucking easy to get discouraged. It's easy to just get tired and slow down. And and, and sometimes you do have to you do have to regroup. You know what I mean? Re re oil the engine. Sometimes you got to slow down and really get your mind right. But make sure while you regroup and while you slow down and all this and that, man, make sure you don't stop. You know what I'm saying, man? Because that's a very, 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 very important, important part, man. And it's easy. So when you start slowing down, it's easy to just stop. It's easy to just, all right, well, I'll just do this instead. You know what I mean? No, you got to pick it back up. Regroup, but then pick it back up. Keep going. Keep going. Keep doing what is best. And what is greatest for you as an individual? Because if you can do what is best for you as the individual, that will be what is truly is best for the world. And you got to do it as more obligation. You know what I mean? You can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't be Coelho de Ville. You know what I'm saying? But guys, uh, let's, ladies and gentlemen, let's get back to this program. The position we're in
1: today, with all all we have learned, but we'll we'll cover that. I'm going to have uh, Dr. McCulloch uh, kick off our, the next portion here.
0: I'm gonna finish up just on this last bullet point on uh, pillar number uh, two, which is home treatment. And I wanna see a show of hands in the room. We have roughly 100 people in the room. How many of you in the room yourself have had COVID-19? Okay, it's probably about 70% of this. Potentially fatal illness. I wanna recognize um, Dr. uh, Christina Parks and i'm going to ask her to give a few brief comments regarding her experience christina parks is a phd in cellular molecular biology at the university of uh she's been widely recognized as a leader uh, scientifically uh, in the african-american community dr parks
5: hi um, i just want to clarify i do not currently work at university of michigan that's where i received my degree in cytokine signaling in 1999. today i come both as an uh, african-american as a scientist As a scientist, it's quite baffling to me that we have an avalanche of data showing that it's the spike protein that causes the deleterious effects of COVID, all right? So, but we don't see any problem with putting genetic material into the cells um, of our body that tell it to make tons and tons of spike protein, right? We're not adding a little bit like a traditional vaccine and then having your body make an antibody response, we've decided let's just make the body just make tons of the spike protein. And we know that the spike protein is toxic. The Ginsha lab at Georgetown showed the spike protein signals through the ACE2 receptor, which usually doesn't signal at all. And that leads to pulmonary hypertension. This is causing inflammation. Um, and at the Bristol Medical Center in the UK showed that the spike protein severely disrupts the functions of cells that support the heart. Maybe it's just me, but I want my heart cells to work right. Lee and all out of Hong Kong demonstrated the antibodies made to the spike protein cross-react with our own tissues so that many people, when they make antibodies to the spike protein, they're getting an autoimmune response that can be devastating. I could go on and on and on. We know the spike protein is toxic. Why are we having our bodies make it? As an African-American scientist, I'm extremely troubled about this one-size-fits-all approach to vaccination and vaccine mandates. There's now a growing body of data showing that people of African descent respond more vigorously to vaccines containing RNA viruses and may need a lower dose. This is Gregory Poland's work out of the Mayo Clinic and basically he showed that they have both a higher innate and a higher humoral response. In order for those vaccines to be safe, we're looking at something like the MMR with measles, mumps, and rubella, all RNA viruses, they may need a lower dose because the higher dose, when you activate your immune system, it becomes inflammatory. If you activate it too much, it becomes hyperinflammatory. If you lack vitamin D, with most um, African Americans are deficient in, you cannot shut out that inflammation. So this is something that we should have been looking at, and we're not looking at. We've decided to do one size fits all. Dr.
0: Parks, j- just to k- oh. keep it on track, uh, because we're going to get to the vaccines. Section oh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. A little bit, but I want your comments just very briefly on African Americans and early treatment. Your understanding as a scientist.
5: We need to have vitamin D, right? We need to have vitamin D sufficiency. Um, in fact, uh, treated him at home. Unfortunately, we had an oxygen machine that didn't work. So he blood saturation went down to the point where he was incoherent. We called the EMS. They said your problem is your oxygen machine doesn't work. They put oxygen on him. He went to 98% saturation. We moved him to the hospital. He recovered all his cognitive functions. He was doing quite well. But he was no longer getting medications that reduce his inflammation. He was no longer getting medications that um, block the histamine response. He was no longer getting the medications that he needed and he was no longer getting, um, you know, um, lung steroids and uh, he just declined and declined and declined until he passed away on Friday. And I say he passed away from lack of appropriate care.
0: Thank you.
1: Did, Did you have no right to insist that your father was treated? As a, as a practicing physician, I'm not a, I'm not a physician, I'm a PhD. Okay, I'm sorry. So, but you had no right as a family member.
5: No, that, just, these uh, are our protocols, and this is all we'll do. I mean, we asked for those things specifically. I mean, in my father's case, things went fairly quickly. First, they told us we'll send him home tomorrow with oxygen. Then they changed their story, and you know, and we asked for particular medications, and they said those weren't part of those, their protocol. They could not give them to us.
1: We are, we are deeply sorry, and even more deeply sorry, the fact that yours isn't the only story I've heard like that. I've heard
0: countless stories, but Dr. McCall, there, there may be eight hundred thousand stories like this. I want to recognize Dr. Mary. This has influenced her life as an early treatment advocate. And put the mic very close to your mouth, about three inches.
6: Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm sort of the real world doctor. I don't have any. I don't have the academic credentials that the rest of these esteemed colleagues have, but I'm a solo ear, nose, and throat doctor, I'm double board certified in otolaryngology and sleep medicine in Houston, Texas. And prior to COVID, I was sort of the resource for second opinions. I was who people came to to get an honest opinion before sinus surgery, because I'm known to be very conservative. I use surgery as a last approach And since the pandemic, now I've become, basically, one of the few resources for patients in the fourth biggest city in the country to get early treatment for COVID. Um, it, It all started because I had patients that needed testing and they couldn't get testing. And testing was being rationed, if you remember, because we didn't have test supplies. And I was the first person in Houston to advocate the saliva test, which was great because it was contact-free and we didn't run out of supplies. So my practice just became a hub for COVID because of of that. And today I've run over 80,000 COVID tests. So in the last six months, I've really evolved into a early treatment uh, advocate. I've um, used a combination of medications, and up until recently, I was using monoclonal antibodies. And sadly, we can't get those anymore. Uh, but and, you know, I've, I just hear so many stories. At first, it was you know my my PCP won't see me, so they came to see me and ENT. I became the PCP. Uh, now it's people are terrified to go to the hospital. So I've, I've become the emergency room <laughs> I'm giving high-dose IV steroids. I'm giving you know 25 grams of IV vitamin C But I am keeping people out of the hospital and I've kept over 2,000 people out of the hospital And if you look at current statistics 20 of those people should be dead and they're not <laughs> so um, I, I see a lot of high-risk patients. I, you know, I don't know if you saw my press conference, but I had um, you know a woman in her late 60s, diabetic, not taking her medications, came to me with an oxygen saturation of 82%, and she came to my clinic three days in a row. She got IV steroids. I gave her 80 milligrams of SoluMedrol based on the FLCC protocol. Thank you. Uh, I gave her two grams of vitamin C. I gave her a slew of medications.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry for uh, breaking uh, break, breaking this real quick. But, you know, I just think this is so uh, oxymoronic. While there's a mask mandate going on here in Omaha, Nebraska, or at least Dr. Lindsay Hughes is trying to put one on, we're having to sue her. All this is going on, the L.A. School District is the nation's second largest, requires students now to upgrade from the regular mass to N95 mass. You see, oh, now, now you have to wear it. Like I said, ladies and gentlemen, what did I say? This has nothing to do with the health of the public. This is everything to do with you being a slave. All right, I'm sorry. I just saw this article. It just came up and it's just outrageous to me. This and, and this and me and this is all blacked out too. No one else is covering this, ladies and gentlemen. No one just listening, guys. This is this is what a time in history we are in like what what a time in history we are in to be alive right now to be involved to even be semi-involved in this is something that is 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 I, i i'm honored honestly i'm quite honored
6: it threw the kitchen sink at her because she refused to go to the hospital and in prior times i would say you you need to go to the hospital but she refused um, but now she's alive and doing wonderfully and you know there's it's just sickening how many patients did not receive that kind of care and the turning point for me when i really got angry was uh, a patient that her wife reached out to me he's trapped in the icu a father of six sheriff's deputy <sighs> refused to give anything but you know these these hospitals give them low dose steroids they give them six milligrams of dexamethasone you know three times a day a lot of these hospitals won't even give breathing treatments. It's ridiculous. They won't give them the vitamins. I mean, and so basically she called me in desperation, and I testified. She sued the hospital to try to get her husband the medications he needed. I testified we won. The hospital refused to grant me privileges, even though I have a spotless record. And I was furious. <laughs> That's when it all changed for me, and I became... Yeah, I became thrust into the public because of Methodist Hospital, but um, it's just, you know, we, I've seen a lot, and I'm angry, and I'm exhausted. I mean, I have one hospital I can send patients to that I feel safe to. I have one, one doctor, Dr. Joe Varone, who I trust that I'll send my patients to, out of an enormous city, and I'm exhausted. I can't find any doctors to help me. Um, it's, it's a huge problem.
1: First of all, thank you, Dr. Bowden, for having the courage and compassion to treat patients and sharing that story. We're going to come back in greater detail uh, in terms of how the treatment has evolved for those of you who are actually treating patients versus how it has not evolved, evolved for over two years throughout the rest of the medical establishment. But our next uh, presenter is Dr. Harpal Mang- Mangat. Uh, Mr. Mangat went to medical school at the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland interned at Trinity College, Dublin, and then completed residencies at London and Oxford Universities before arriving in the US in 1992, where he did the same again. He is currently in private practice in Germantown and created over a thousand, and has treated over a thousand COVID-positive patients with good results.
7: Mr. Mangat, or Dr. Mangat. Thank you very much. First of all, I'd like to compliment you on what he said. I've been for the same here in Maryland and it's it's horrific but what you can do is just doctor get your mic right about about three inches from here okay i want to thank you for sharing your experiences i've had the same experiences i'm currently a covid center and a lot of people call me up for everything and it's evolved you have to to pick up the challenge and help the, the patient and the most important thing is seeing how it has evolved when we started We don't understand this disease. And what I've learned from it, it's a two-step disease. The first step is the early phase, the viral phase. And there are generic antivirals, which are as expensive as Moolenavir or the uh, other drug, which can be used. But the whole point is after you have day 7 to 10, you enter the immune or the inflammatory response. And the only way to treat it is high-dose steroids. And we could be careful as physicians because one of the problems that Peter Corey was saying, and other people have been saying, all these papers came out. Well, they were essentially treating the inflammatory phase with the wrong drugs. So you have gotta look critically at some of these papers and understand that. So, but what I wanna do is just thank my patients for allowing me to, well, for pushing me because they refuse to go to hospital like your, your patients. And I had to figure out, well, how do I treat this obese diabetic and keep him alive? And it worked. And each time we had to bring him in. And now I'm giving IV antibiotics, IV steroids as well. And I'm having very good results and having the same experiences that you did with hospitals. So it's not just you. It's all of us. But I want to uh, thank you for the comments you made because I think a lot of us are in the same position as we try and help our patients get better every day.
1: Thank you, Doctor. Our next presenter is uh, Dr. Paul Merrick. Dr. Merrick received his medical degree from the University of Witwatersrand, Johannesburg, South Africa. He is board certified in internal medicine, critical care medicine, neurocritical care, and nutrition science. Dr. Merrick was professor of medicine and chief of pulmonary and critical care care medicine, Eastern Virginia Medical School in in Norfolk, Virginia. He has written over 500 peer-reviewed journal articles. 80 book chapters and authored four critical care books and has been cited over 48,000 times in peer-reviewed publications and Dr. Merrick is certainly one of those doctors who have been persecuted for treating patients. Dr. Merrick.
8: Thank you, Senator Johnson, and it's a privilege to be here with my esteemed colleagues So, as you said, I'm a critical care doctor. I have practiced in the ICU for 35 years until recently and until my job was terminated. Uh, I've been treating COVID patients in the ICU since March of 2020. I've treated hundreds and hundreds of COVID patients. So what I need to tell you is that between 4 to 10% of symptomatic patients with COVID-19 have required hospitalization across the world. With Omicron, it's about 2%. In this country, 4 million patients have been hospitalized with COVID, and of those, 850,000 poor souls have died, 850,000 people have died. These have been unnecessary, needless deaths. The NIH guidelines for the post-treatment of hospitalized patients for COVID include remdesivir and low-dose dexamethasone. Consequently, almost every single patient in this country, almost every single patient in this country is treated with the combination of remdesivir and low-dose dexamethasone the palm study group investigated four drugs for the use of Ebola the results were published December the 12th 2019 in the New England Journal of Medicine and that date is particularly important because that signaled the beginning of COVID The Data Safety Monitoring Board of that study terminated the study of remdesivir. Terminated because remdesivir increased the risks of death and renal failure. It was such a toxic drug, the Data Safety Monitoring Board terminated the use of remdesivir. Yet, in January and February of 2021, the NIH and the ACT-1 study enrolled patients in a study looking at remdesivir for the treatment of COVID-19. The last patient was enrolled April 19, 2020. 10 days later, 10 days later before the study had actually terminated, Dr. Fauci sat in the, in the Oval Office of the White House and he said the trial was good news. What Dr. Fauci did not tell you was that the primary endpoint of the study was changed halfway during the study. We all know that is scientific misconduct. Because the study was not going to be positive, they changed the primary endpoint the original endpoint was an eight-point ordinal scale that included death and a requirement for mechanical ventilation. Knowing that remdesivir would not affect those endpoints, they invented a bogus endpoint called time to recovery, which they showed in this study was statistically significant, and based on this bogus endpoint, remdesivir was it risk of death by 3% it increases your chances of renal failure by 20% this is a toxic drug but just to make the situation even more preposterous the federal government will give hospitals a 20 country will absurdly use this homeopathic dose of dexamethasone. Why? Because the NIH tells them to do this. So what the NIH and other agencies have ignored are multiple FDA-approved drugs. These are FDA-approved drugs. These are not experimental drugs, which are cost-effective and safe and have unequivocally, unequivocally been shown to reduce the death of patients in the ICU and in hospital. For example, there are 25 high quality, so people complain about the quality of these studies. So if you select out the high quality randomized controlled trials, they show that ivermectin reduces the risk of death by 26%. This is an extremely safe and cheap drug. In fact, it is one of the safest drugs on this planet. You are more likely to die from taking Tylenol. You are more likely to die from taking Tylenol than Ivermectin, yet the FDA calls this a dangerous horse deworming medicine. So we have a whole host As Dr. Uso and other clinicians have said, there are a whole host of drugs that have been proved highly effective for the treatment of hospitalized patients, including anti-androgen therapy, spironolactone, phloboxamine, mitazoxamide, melatonin, vitamin C, and I can go on. So the question is,
1: Department of State Hospitals. He has testified before the California Senate on Health Policy and consulted on COVID policies for the University of California and the California Department of Public Health. Dr. Cariardi.
9: Thank you, Senator, for that introduction, for this opportunity to, to speak. I want to talk about medical ethics because I'm concerned that many of our pandemic policies have ignored foundational principles of medical ethics. During the initial lockdowns in 2020, hospitals sat empty. For weeks, hospital staff, including doctors, were even sent home as we had canceled surgeries. Not arrive until months later. Healthcare systems spurred by perverse payment incentives from CMS, Dr. Merrick, Uh, avert to just one of those, there are several others, caused our healthcare systems to focus narrowly on one single disease. This had the effect of, for example, biasing our COVID hospitalization and death counts. We've heard quite a bit about that in the media in the last couple of weeks, but people in this room have known about that for two years. We effectively abandoned patients that were suffering from other conditions and had other medical needs. The disastrous fruits of this myopia include an unprecedented 40% increase in all-cause mortality among working-age adults, 18 to 64, over the last year. Most of which, two-thirds to three-quarters, depending on the state, was not related to COVID. Actuaries tell us that a 10% rise in all-cause mortality is a once-in-200-year disaster. This was a 40% rise. Our public health establishment has no answer
2: for... I mean, whoa. that—that That is completely fucking insane. You know, that that's... I... Uh, yeah, I don't even have... An, I honestly don't even know what to say to that. That's just...
9: the ethical principle of free and informed medical consent guaranteed by the Nuremberg Code the Helsinki Declaration the Belmont Report commissioned by our own federal government the common rule in federal law this basic principle of medical informed consent was abandoned for example when vaccine mandates required experimental EUA vaccines the common good argument to get vaccinated in order to protect others quickly fell apart with clear evidence that the COVID vaccines do not prevent infection or transmission of the virus. Yet these one-size-fits-all mandates for vaccines remain. Meanwhile, public health authorities ignored natural or infection-induced immunity, even though this remains our primary path out of this pandemic, especially as vaccine efficacy declines with time and with new variants, as we've seen clearly with Omicron. Transparency, which is a central principle of public health ethics, was likewise abandoned. Along with several colleagues, some of whom are in this room, I had to file a FOIA request to obtain the Pfizer vaccine clinical trial data from the FDA, which the FDA is required under federal law to release on the day in which this vaccine was authorized. The agency came back saying that it wanted 75 years to release this data. The data for the vaccine that had been mandated for millions of Americans. Data that took the FDA only 108 days to review. Fortunately, the federal judge just ordered this data released in eight months. Thousands like me have lost our jobs for declining a novel injection whose safety and efficacy data still remains hidden. My firing from the University of California, where I served for 15 years my entire professional career as a professor in the School of Medicine and director of their medical ethics program, came shortly after I challenged the constitutionality of the university's vaccine mandate in federal court, a case that's ongoing. The scientific method also suffered by a repressive academic and social climate of censorship and silencing of competing perspectives that we've heard a little bit about already. I certainly experienced that at the university. This projected to the public the false appearance of a scientific consensus a consensus that was often very strongly influenced by economic or other political external interests. Finally, our government and public health authorities have still not defined the thresholds for this state of emergency that is renewed every three months. The supposed legal justification, this state of emergency, this public health emergency, for all the burdensome COVID countermeasures, right, a term that's emerged in the last few months with the militarization of public health. This is not a medical term, physicians, scientists don't talk about COVID countermeasures. But these COVID countermeasures, the infringements on our civil liberties, the censorship of dissenting voices, all justified supposedly in the name of a public health emergency the criteria for which has never been clearly defined. The assumption of emergency powers by both elected officials and unelected bureaucrats therefore continues indefinitely, with no end in sight, without any critical scrutiny or appropriate checks and balances. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Dr. Cariardi. Our next presenter is Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone is a physician and scientist who serves as the Chief Medical and Regulatory Officer of the Unity Project and President of the 17,000 plus strong International Alliance of Physicians and Medical Scientists. Dr. Malone also operates a consultant practice specializing for over 20 years in advanced development of medical countermeasures for infectious diseases vaccines and drugs. Dr. Malone is an internationally recognized scientist and the original inventor of mRNA vaccination DNA vaccination and multiple non-viral DNA and RNA slash mRNA delivery technologies. Dr. Malone.
2: Thank you.
10: Senator Johnson, ladies and gentlemen, I'm speaking to you not only as a physician and scientist but also as a husband, father, and grandfather. I'm also a COVID and long COVID survivor, as many in this room are. In my opinion, we should not have politicized the public health response to SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. This is a bipartisan issue, and the physicians represented here are truly a bipartisan group. I'm not, although I've been characterized as a right-wing, proud boy. Uh, I've previously supported uh, clinical trials currently ongoing with the support of the Defense Threat Reduction Agency and uh, the leadership of Lydos, which I serve as a, um, a uh, consultant to. Early in my career during the late 1980s, I had a series of discoveries which led to nine issued patents. Which describe the original platform technologies upon which the current mRNA vaccines are based. I've spent my entire career focused on developing ways to protect people from infectious disease threats, including both natural community. Furthermore, they're not completely safe, and the full nature of the risks remain uncharacterized. It usually takes us many years to fully understand the risks of vaccines and certainly new vaccine technologies. If there is risk, there must be choice. Dr. Carriardi has just shared the the, um, legislative and ethical background for that, nicely summarized. Informed consent based on full disclosures of risks is an absolute necessity for any medical An emergency use authorization. In contrast, Omicron is highly infectious, readily affects those who have been vaccinated, is generally associated with mild disease, and rarely, if ever, causes death. Mandating these vaccines makes no sense and is completely inconsistent with the core principles of Western bioethics developed since the Nuremberg trials and codified in federal law as the federal common rule. If I may quote, in May of 1995, Nelson Mandela said, there can be no keener revelation. Have had a particularly strong adverse effect on our children, and vaccine mandates for our children are completely unjustified at this point. In closing, I always like to try to end on a positive note. Americans are good people. We're committed to the importance of integrity, human dignity, and community. The world still believes in the importance of the American experiment, of American ideals, and still looks to us to provide leadership during these difficult times. I believe in the vision of the United States, in the vision of the shining city on the hill, in the vision of Camelot and I have faith that we will be able to overcome these difficulties as we have had all prior challenges. It's time to come to...
1: Coordinator for Vaccine Injury, I was certainly made aware of Dr. Reisman from the email group but also from uh, his presentations in front of uh, federal
11: health agencies. Uh, Okay. Uh, Thank you Senator for your leadership and for inviting me to this distinguished panel. So my friend called me uh, a week ago. He said, watch this new movie. It's called Don't Look Up. And I told him, listen, I don't need to look at this movie. I've been in this movie for the last two years. Um, In the final scene, DiCaprio and Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence try try to distract themselves from the inevitable by prattling on about coffee beans. It's not helping. And DiCaprio observes, we really did have everything, didn't we? And that's where we are. We had the finest scientific institutions in the world. They had some problems, but they were still the finest. NIH, FDA, CDC. With almost 900,000 deaths, CDC's advisors are tired, confused, and despondent. Boosting is, quote, the last whack-a-mole, neither sustainable or smart. They're confused. We thought vaccines would return us to work. No, the wounds of vaccine, vaccine divisiveness will take years to heal. My movie, trailer, my movie trailer is more upbeat. I call it, look up, a time to heal. Watch us discover data missing from an EUA revoking study that yields a 42% reduction in COVID with hydroxychloroquine. Watch us discover how a policy shaping paper in JAMA shows 56% COVID reduction with ivermectin. Who did it? Was it FDA? Perhaps it wasn't. If FDA can wade through monopiravir and Paxlovid, are not what we think they are. They meet FDA's definition of gene therapeutics. They could need 15-year studies for cancer, autoimmune, and other concerns. Perhaps quasi-vaccine describes these novel vaccine-like drugs. FDA say, they can say they FDA say they contain nucleoside-modified mRNA, or mod-RNA. Why aren't we using that term? Hidden in plain sight, these mod-RNA quasi-vaccines contain parts of human genes, not just the viral spike genes as properly understood. And I have... America wants to see FDA listen not only to vaccine-injured patients, but also to scientists who started to figure out this months and months ago. Establish ICD-10 and CPT codes. Release the NIH study on injuries. Fund research. And and at this point, hot off the... And the answer appears to be yes. So finally, we're getting through. So... So look up everyone, look up FDA. It's time to heal. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Dr. Wiseman. Let me ask staff: Do we have uh, Dr. Bhattacharya's video queued up? Can we run that?
5: It's my testimony on vaccines. Should I do that now? Or? Oh, um, sure. Because I was a little bit confused okay. about where we were in the in the thing. So I just want to stress again. Um, that African-Americans have many predisposing mutations that are very protective from malaria. We have beta thalassemias. We have sickle cell trait. We have glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase. When their system is stressed, they lose their ability to carry oxygen effectively. One in 10 African um, males of African descent has glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase deficiency. It's sex-linked. That means one in 10 could basically devolve when their system is highly stressed, either under COVID or as a result of a vaccine. Do we screen for this at birth? No, are hospitals ready to give a transfusion when someone does this? No, they don't even know it's happening. They just ignore the whole thing. And so um, in this light, my my son is Ethiopian and we know that Gregory Poland's data showing that um, people of African descent um, generate a much more vigorous immune response that could go hyperinflammatory in response to vaccines. That is the, some of the most significant, like statistically significant data I have ever seen. The p-value is so low, it's got, you know, like negative numbers all behind it. And so... Um, he's supposed to get a vaccine, he's in New York City. He's like, mom, I can't do anything. I can't go to a restaurant, I can't do anything. So we're in a horrific position where people of African descent are being mandated to get a COVID vaccine to stay employed or participate in normal life, such as going to a restaurant, even though um, these products have not been optimized for the genetic profile. Thus, African-Americans are likely to be at significantly more risk of an adverse event than their European counterparts, even worse, we're about to push this on our kids, right? We know that in response to MMR, William Thompson at the CDC was... William Thompson alleges they then shredded the data. It's um, meant 20 years later from the, the, the first um, study. And we have not addressed the fact that not all of us are the same and we need individualized medical care. These are not hard problems to solve. They're really not we just and we actually need to address the issue instead of making everything a one-size-all political nightmare
1: thank you dr parks uh, again do we have a dr bodicharia's video okay we'll run that and that will kind of uh, conclude the opening statement part of the program and that will be the, the free for all of a discussion very free-flowing dr urso
4: Senator, I want to just before we get on the questions enter something into the record. Um, I want to personally thank you. Um, in the past, uh, medical schools and conferences would, like this would take place. Um, we debate uh, how to treat these kind of diseases, and you know, I, I, it's kind of strange that we, this meeting has to take place in the U.S. Senate. Um, you know, given the current state of affairs, um, that's what, that's where we are, but in the past we would think that somehow the FDA, the CDC, the NIH we would have basically maybe a message board, exchange ideas and I really want to reach out and say thank you for what you've done to Dr. McCullough and Dr. Risch who initially uh, set all of this up. Um, you know, the extreme censorship and attacks have <laughs> have led us to come to this place and so I want to just thank you uh, for what you've done. Um, you've really pushed this all forward, you know, as a you know, you've been yourself, become a researcher and a scientist over those last two years. So thank you very much.
1: I appreciate that. Okay, thanks. Um, so again, what, what we'll do is we'll move to uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya's uh, description of, I think he'll probably be talking about, the Great Barrington Declaration. To kind of, kind of wrap this all up, this, this is, from my standpoint, this is what might have been. This would have been certainly a second opinion of how to respond to COVID, which, from my standpoint, would have been far more rational. In my opening statement, I talked about our deaths per million, which, or I think over 2,600 per million, versus Sweden's uh, 1,500 per million. And I will point out that 1.8 million Swedish school children went to school, no masks. Results, facts, truth matter. So we'll listen to uh, Dr. Bhattacharya, and then we'll open up the discussion. I know there are people in the audience that uh, have some questions. Uh, we'll, we'll call them the credentials, the qualifications, the integrity of the individuals that are sitting around this table. And again, this is just this is a fraction of other courageous globally trying to push back against. Uh, You know the one-size-fits-all approach but let's start the uh, video with uh, dr Bhattacharya
12: welcome everybody my name is professor Jay Bhattacharya i'm a professor of medicine at Stanford University and i'm pleased to be able to offer a alternative to the lockdown focused policies that we have followed throughout the pandemic those policies have not worked to stop the pandemic and have led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people in the United States and have created destruction and misery almost everywhere they have been tried. As an alternative, I would suggest a plan that I authored with Sunetra Gupta, a professor of epidemiology at Oxford University, and Martin Kulldorff, a professor of of, of, of epidemiology and biostatistics at Harvard University in October of 2020. The basic outlines of that plan would work not just in this pandemic, but in many, many other pandemics. The plan relies on two basic scientific facts, completely undisputed. First, that is that this pandemic, uh, the disease in this pandemic, the virus in this pandemic is not an equal opportunity virus. In fact, it uh, harms people who are older at much higher rates than people who are younger. A thousandfold difference in the risk of mortality and severe disease from infection in this pandemic. Uh, A very large fraction of the population who have died from this are over the age of 65 and almost 40% of the deaths in the United States that have occurred have occurred in nursing home settings where older people with many comorbidities reside. The second scientific fact is that the lockdowns themselves are harmful to to population health. Uh, The lockdowns have created a, a crisis in the mental health of the population in the United States and elsewhere uh, in July of 2020 after only a short amount of lockdown one in four young adults in the United States reported uh, considering seriously considering suicide uh, it's also affected physical health for instance people who were uh, pe- many people skipped cancer screening many people skipped even treatment for heart attacks and diabetes. Uh, all of these consequences, all of these effects on uh, the use of preventive medical services will have long-term consequences on the health of the population. On children, the lockdown in many, many states led to extended time away from school. And we know from an extensive literature that this leads to enormous damage to the health, long-term health, wealth, and well-being of, of children. Uh, especially poor children were affected by this. So if you put these two facts together, what you have is a vulnerable population, an older vulnerable population, who really do, do and did need protecting from the virus because they face such a high risk of death if we infected. At the same time, uh, the, the rest of the population were harmed more by the lockdowns than they were by the virus itself. The Great Barrington Declaration, co-authored with Martin Kulldorff and Sinatra Gupta then proposed to protect the vulnerable through a policy of focused protection, including a, a suite of, of, uh, of strategies to protect older people living in nursing homes and older people and other vulnerable people living in the community at large. Uh, the lockdowns needed to be lifted then, and the continuing restrictions on on, uh, on 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 populations need to be restricted now because they impose more harm than good. They do not stop the disease from spreading, as we can see it during the, this this current wave. The disease spreads via regional and seasonal patterns. Uh, we maintain this very this illusion of control over the, the path of this disease, and attributed to. Basically, uh, regional and seasonal influences uh, to our own actions, which actually have not particularly affected the path of the disease, while at the same time uh, wreaked enormous harm on the population at large. So lift the lockdowns and engage in extensive focus protection of vulnerable populations. We wrote that in October of 2020. Now we have even better tools to protect vulnerable populations than we did then. The vaccines, while they do not stop disease spread, actually are quite good against severe disease. Making sure that vulnerable older populations are are vaccinated and protected against severe diseases is, is still quite important, not just in the United States, but around the world. Furthermore, we have better treatments and we should be investing in, in, uh, in research to continue to improve our treatments um, and, and strategies to make sure that we have treatments available everywhere where someone, vulnerable especially, gets sick. So um, if, you, if you put these strategies together, our society can continue to function in a much more healthy way than we have functioned these past two years, uh, while at the same time working to protect older people. Uh, the strategies we followed, basically by ignoring the possibility of early treatment, by not focusing our efforts on the protection of vulnerable populations and worst of all, these restrictions on, uh, on, uh, uh, on human behavior, on human connection, have wreaked enormous damage and it's far past time that we stopped those policies and instead follow, followed an alternate plan. Thank you for your time.
1: So Dr. Bhattacharya was joined by colleagues from Harvard and from Oxford uh, and put together the Great Barrington Declaration. I'm pretty sure they published that in, I think it was October 2020. Uh, we've since seen emails between Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci, head of NIH and NIAID, uh, basically with a concerted effort to destroy, reputationally destroy, Dr. Bhattacharya and his co-authors. Now, I'll ask the listening audience, did, does that sound like a crazy individual? Sounds to me like a highly qualified, very reasonable person as we have in this, we've assembled in this room. So what we're going to move into next is the open
2: discussion. I don't know where this is all going to go. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, now that was a huge piece. And once again, these are the kind of things that are getting completely blacked out. CNN is not covering this. I have yet to see really this on Fox News. I have yet to see this on almost any other channel besides uh moa rumble band video thank god for Infowars, man alex jones is really killing it out there and uh, of course yours truly subliminal message studios i have it up, i have this up on my podcast and on my youtube channel however they i just looked on there and they just took it down so i'm going to be having to re-upload constantly this video but uh, if not, they are not going to take it out off anchor. Ha ha! Mother efforts, um, ladies and gentlemen. We are living. Uh, once again, we're living in a hor- sto- uh, historic time. And what a time to be alive! By the way, you know what a time to live. What, what a what a time. See, even if you are not involved in politics, you can still be involved within your community. And there are so many different assets and so many different aspects of things you can do to help the community. You know, I mean, even if you're not a peace loving Democrat, let's say if you hate people, there's so many different things that you can be involved in right now that needs your opinion. You see, that's what the world, you know, like the world is shaped by opinions. The world is shaped by someone that can simply say something in a certain way that will completely outspeak. And outspeak and outrank everything else that is going on in this world. What we do is our reality. That is why I constantly tell my, uh, tell everyone, don't ever let the screen, don't ever let movies, don't ever let your phone be your reality. Use your eyes. Remember to use your eyes for your reality If everything you look around and everything you see around you is dirty, it's messy, it's disgusting, then clean it up. You have to start, we have to start with what's around us at first. If we keep on looking at the screen or getting on Twitter, getting on TikTok and valuing these opinions as if they really are actually tangible and it's something that you can personally do right now. And it is the things that we can do right now that are truly make a difference within this world, ladies and gentlemen. And I once again, I am absolutely honored to be covering this, to be covering the uh, the medical doctors that are uh, the medical doctors, uh, the medical pandemic, uh, the medical pandemic response team that is uh, in the Pentagon right now or uh, last uh, yesterday and today. And they are having these sessions discussing and having an open dialogue of what other options there are to stop this pandemic. Or this pandemic, I should say. But it's all not going to be anything if we all don't get involved and keep on discussing these matters at an everyday aspect. And I honestly believe that we are doing it better and better. We just need to be more open about it. And understand thats that it is the open, openness that will truly, truly start to make a change. Within everyone else that you see around you. You see what I'm saying? If you can make a change with everyone else around you, that's where it starts, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you very much for being a listener of mine. Thank you very much, even if you're a new listener. Thank you very much, even if you're just now getting involved. That is where you start. That is where you really, really start. So thank you very much to everyone that is getting involved even if you're on the left side, even if you're on the right side, it's all just about getting informed. It's all about at least focusing on the things that matter. Because at the end of the day, Nebraska football is not what matters. If the Nebraska team wins, ooh, bickety fucking who? okay? That doesn't matter. But what does matter is us setting up a bright and beautiful future for our children to lead them into a new interstellar generation that can accomplish Things that our our Lord wanted us, wanted us to accomplish. Do you understand? This is Subliminal Message Studios. I am your host Leonardo, and keep a lookout for my new broadcast. I will be focusing on the uh, on uh, more news because there's so much more I could not get to. This is share this everywhere, ladies and gentlemen. I mean to share this podcast everywhere. All right, share this everywhere, because these are the discussions that they are not showing you, that they are not letting go on YouTube, obviously, because it just already got taken down on my YouTube channel. But these are the things that will truly drive individual thought. This is Subliminal Message Studios. Thank you very much, and have a good day, ladies and gentlemen. I am out of here.